0: Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I don't know if you all know this because I forgot to announce it last week, but uh, we're starting a new series because we ended Jonah. And this new series is called The Gospel, Spiritual Growth, and Family. And over the next three weeks, we want to make sure that we are telling you about what COV is because many of you are new. Many of you have been here for a short while, and some of you have not been here for a short while, and then there's a bunch of in between. And so we want to talk about who we are. We do this about once a year, and we're really going to jump into what God has been doing here, is doing here, will do here, because we've seen these things happen over the past few years especially. One thing about the Christian life that makes what Orthodox Protestant Christians differ from, say, a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or a Muslim or even Catholic is that it really is not about religion, but a relationship. That is a cliche way of saying the gospel, the good news, because the gospel at its core is a message that we do not work our way to God, but he made his way to us through the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And by believing, or let me, let me use a term that we were using as we were in the book of John, entrusting ourselves to this message, you and I are made complete we have shalom. Say shalom. That's a fun word to say. You have peace with God. You are made right. Here is what being made right means. It means that you're made righteous, not Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure righteous, righteous, but righteous. You have right standing before God, before this holy and perfect God. And here's what we know. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Christ has done for us. But when we say gospel, most evangelical churches would say that the gospel is the point. So we don't differ very much there. It's the point of the existence of the church, the reason that we have a 501c3 religious nonprofit status, that we exist with buildings and resources because the gospel message is of first importance, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Can you tell I have a lot to cover? I'm talking a little fast. But the way the gospel is treated, communicated, and expected to be involved in one's Christian commitment seems to differ from church community to church community. Over the next three Sundays, this one included, we are not doing a commercial to tell you why you ought to buy Pepsi instead of Coke, even though I like Pepsi, or how our brand is better than another brand, meaning our church is better than another one. This is not about comparing what we hope to communicate over the next three weeks is what Church of the Valley in Santa Clara, California, is specifically and uniquely committed to above all else, not because we are better or even worse than another church, but what we emphasize most based on our understanding of God's Word and the leading and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because every person who walks into this place and prays about becoming a part of this community known as Church of the Valley or COV, as we often call it, ought to know what we're about. So there isn't any assumptions about our goals or our vision or where we feel responsible as part of God's big C church. So with that, I want to pray for us. And we pray in sermons a lot. We pray during services a lot. And a lot of times when we pray, it's just this transitional thing so we can kind of be like, and then Mike's up there, you know? But that's not what we're doing here. We get to talk to the most holy and perfect God and we have right standing before him, not because of anything we've done, but because he's given us the faith to repent and trust Jesus. And because of that, when we speak to him, he hears us, he knows us, and he loves us. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads as I pray for us as we jump into the series? (sighs) God, you're so good. What an understatement, but we say it. And God, you are the point. And we are going to spend time over the next three weeks basically beating that idea, that point that you are the point into everyone's hearts and heads, I hope. But God, anything we do is worthless without your intervention. So God, I pray that you'd intervene, that you'd use this time to help us understand more of what the gospel is. That we'd understand more of who Jesus is. And that you would use this time to grow us more into your likeness as a family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do DIY bulletins here. or. notes. And when we walk through the bulletin, which you have in your hand probably, we don't actually put the name of the sermon up there, but here's the name of the sermon. Here we go. Jesus is the gospel. I don't know if we can be clearer than that. Jesus is the gospel. So everything I'm about to say is going to be about that. So we begin with this idea of the gospel, the good news of God's redeeming plan through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I promise you, you're going to want to take notes today. God with skin lived among us. He lived a perfect life, always obeying the Father, not just not doing anything wrong, but by doing everything right. He was put to death on a Roman cross because he who was without sin was called a blasphemer, and he was put to death so that those who would trust him would have access to eternal life. Because Jesus physically rose from the dead, showed himself to hundreds of people over 40 days, ascended to the, back to heaven to the right hand of the Father until Jesus will come back one day in his glorious sp- splendor at the end of days. This, in a simple sense, is the gospel message. It is news. In fact, it's really good news if you weren't tracking That there is a way that an imperfect people like you and I can have a relationship with a perfect God. This is alluded to and said and explained throughout all of the Bible. But for many, they have focused too much on the words rather than the word. Many are more enamored with trying to impress others with their own knowledge of this book rather than knowing, loving, and bowing down to the author and the subject of this book. So I want to take you to a passage in the book of Hebrews, which Mike read, and we're going to walk through it because we walk through the Bible because we believe the Word of God is more important than life hacks ever will be. And here's what it says, Hebrews chapter one, we're gonna start in verse one. This was written 2,000 years ago to a Jewish people of God who had turned from their religion and had believed that Jesus, is the, who was the son of Joseph and of Mary, was the Messiah in which the Old Testament spoke of for thousands of years. So here we go, Hebrews chapter one, verse one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways the writer of Hebrews, starts this letter with the fact that in the past, God would send prophets to speak to his creation. God communicated to the world that he loves, first in the garden, then in a bush, or through a bush, and then through the prophets, and eventually by taking on skin and walking among his creation through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Verse 2. But in these last days, guess when that is? Now, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also made the universe. See, Jesus is the heir of all things. All things are created by him, for him, and through him. In fact, Paul, the apostle, confirms in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, for in him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Do you see why we make it about Jesus? Because the Bible does. Verse 3 of Hebrews 1, the Son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, not reputation, of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word, and yet Jesus is the perfect reputation of God. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I don't know if there's a more beautiful verse that describes so much of who the gospel is than this one. See, the gospel isn't just a message, but the person, words, work, and accomplishments of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is the gospel. The Son, according to the writer of Hebrews, is the radiance. Jesus is the brilliance and beauty of God. He is the direct representation. He is the Instagram post of God. Jesus is God with skin. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to please the Father? Exalt the Son. You want to be led by the Holy Spirit? Obey Jesus Christ. Because this Jesus can sustain all things by his word and his will. And Jesus provides purification for sins. He provides the antidote. He provides the cure for sin. He is the remedy to our depravity. This is not a note up here, but I want you to take this note. Jesus replaces our sin nature with a new heart that loves God and loves others. You want to know how to fulfill the great commandment to love God and to love others? It's that you repent and you trust Jesus because he is the one who gives you a new heart. He replaces our sin nature with a new heart that loves God and loves others. This is good news because I can't love people without the work of God in me. And as he sat down at the right hand of majesty, at the right hand of the Father, which signifies a place of honor, after he rose from the dead, after he ascended to heaven, he will return one day to judge the living and the dead at an appointed time. But do we know when? Nope. And our job is not to be the planning committee. You hear me? Our job is to be the welcome committee because we're excited that one day he'll be back. There are so many verses, passages, and analogies we can use for the gospel, but hear me, I don't want any of us to treat the gospel message like a canned message that comes out at the end of a sermon to make people feel guilty because they are like everyone else, and guess what that is, a sinner. The gospel is our filter for how we view the world as a Christian, The gospel is our filter for how we view the world as a Christian. One of the reasons that I know that the good news of the message of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension is the point is simply this. How people in different stages of their spiritual journey react to the message In fact, our executive pastor, Mike, was preaching a sermon, or doing a wedding not too long ago, and there was someone who was having a physical reaction as he was teaching the gospel in the wedding. See, people respond to the good news of Jesus, and they respond in a bunch of different ways. Some hear the message of the gospel and think it's what some would call, let me see if anyone knows what I mean by this, some would call tomfoolery. Anyone? Okay, that's for like six of us. Or if you're from a newer generation, that people think that that message is cray-cray. All right, all of a sudden, we know what you're talking about. Thanks. Whatever, I'm right in between those. It's crazy, is really what that means. See, the gospel sounds too incredible to be true or realistic. And the Bible even says this through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel, for those who think they are too wise in their own eyes, are absolutely unwilling to look at the facts or what we know as here's a term apologetics. To really look at the footprints in history of a man who claimed he was God, a man who lived an impeccable life, a man who died on a cross because he, according to the people that put him there, he was blaspheming God, and yet he was seen after he died, and he was talked with, and he was encountered because we believe he rose from the dead. See, his resurrection is one of the most historically reliable events in history, and if you want to come at someone about that, come at me, bro. But because it requires a supernatural conclusion, most sneer at the thought of it. In fact, Paul had this. The Apostle Paul, when he was in Athens, when he was talking about the gospel, it says in Acts 17, 32, he's just talked about Jesus and the gospel and what he's done to this essentially city council meeting. And it says this, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. All right, here's our version of sneer. (laughs) That's what they did. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. All of this is similar to what Jesus teaches in what is known as the parable of the sower. You guys familiar with the parable of the sower? It's a parable that Jesus speaks of, but here's the thing. I don't call it the parable of the sower because what was written to say what this passage was is not canonized. It's not from the Lord. This was just what editors called it, like the Great Commission. But the parable of the sower is really, in my opinion, the parable of the soils. Because the the seed would fall on different types of soil. And Jesus points out how the gospel affects different people and where they are spiritually. So we're going to look at three different accounts of the same parable. Here's what it says in Matthew 13. Then he told them many things in parables. He was speaking to his disciples and others, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed... As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. The gospel message lands on soil that is concreted over, if you will. There is concrete, so it doesn't actually sink in. Birds can just come and eat it. It has no chance of being heard because hearts are too hardened to religion. The people refuse to believe or listen about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, we have a really bad popularity rating as Christians because too many people have come in the name of the Lord when they have no idea who the Lord is and the gospel message lands on these soils and it's it's concreted over people won't hear see some people hear the gospel and it excites them for the moment there is this spiritual high it's kind of like a mountaintop experience They want to hang on to this high spiritually. They want to hang on to it. They want to have this feeling. So the message of the gospel in the moment seems more compelling as a worldview than what they've heard or experienced before. So this new message or this message they have heard before, they seem more interested because it's something that they in the moment can get excited about until the costs are counted or the excitement wears off then they like what jesus says next about the soils happens verse 5 of mark 4 some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow <laughs> I love that Mark includes Jesus saying they were shallow. This is not a Lady Gaga song. This is the point that people, unfortunately, hear the truth of the gospel. They get really excited at the moment, but then eventually it wears off. Those who had no depth of soil in other translations. See, this, hear me, is about obedience. This is not about intelligence. Some of the smartest people I know want nothing to do with Jesus, And some of the smartest people I know have given up their entire lives for Jesus. For many, we want the Christian life to be about what we can do. Rather than what Christ has done for us and the security and surety that we have in the completed work of Christ to secure, here's a word, our justification, meaning our right standing, our righteousness before a holy and perfect God. But for many others, the gospel is more of a minimal means of life insurance to cover our bases both eternally and spiritually. That's how many treat the gospel. That's what we call Christers. You guys know what those are? Christmas and Easter attenders? Yeah. And here's what it looks like. It looks like this. Basically, someone who's just doing the minimal means of life or death insurance, depending on how you look at it, Here's, here's what that looks like. They essentially say, I believe or acknowledge something. Therefore, I am good with God because we are certain that God needs us and is even lucky to have us on his team. And by being on his team, what I am doing is that I have put in the minimal amount of effort to pacify his wrath because my acknowledgement feeds God's ego and he is more powerful because I believe in him. That's what a shallow person looks like, biblically. We don't ever say this, but our actions reveal this, and we are shallow when we think or act like this. Because listen, my God did not create the world and everything in it. He did not create man and woman, both equal but different, provide a law so we could love him. And after we broke that law, my God did not take on flesh, live among his creation, And a life that is perfect, that you and I would not live, die a sinner's death, even though he was pure and without blemish, and rise from the dead on the third day, defeating death and the hold that sin had on God's creation, and then ascend to heaven to triumphantly return one day, so that you and I would acknowledge that maybe he exists." He did that so you would be included in his church, his body, his family. He did it so you could know that there is nothing else in this world that will satisfy like knowing and being known by the creator of heaven and earth. So those who only acknowledge him, they are shallow, and their belief was never a god-gifted faith that pleases God because faith without obedience is dead. Faith is evidenced by our obedience to God because at the heart of the gospel, he who was rich became poor so that we could become rich. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says exactly that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, we're not talking about monetary giftings. We're talking about the fact that he was pure and perfect. Yet for the sake of for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. True acknowledgement of the gospel is not that you believe that God exists. Even the demons know that, and they freak out because of it. James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they Shudder true acknowledgement of the gospel is a response to the message that makes you realize that you are not good on your own. Did you know that? Did you come in here kind of going, hey God, I'm going to bless you by being around other Christians, even though they're kind of lame true acknowledgement of the gospel is acknowledging and realizing that you are not good on your own. You are not sovereign. You are not savior. You realize you are not good, but you need the one who can make you good, not in a moral sense, but in a right-standing, justified, and righteous sense. Second Corinthians 5.21, my tattoo verse that I don't have yet because I don't like needles. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. The gospel is about what can make you righteous. What can give you right standing? What can make you deemed not guilty, even though we all are? And we know those who acknowledge the gospel as truth and put their faith in this message that it is not a what that makes us righteous, but a who, and that who is Jesus Christ, the only Son of God who lived the perfect life that we could not, died the death that we all should have died, and physically rose from the dead to bring life to those who would repent, those who would bow down, and those who would submit and follow him. We talk so much about this, don't we? Like, if you've been attending here, you're like, yeah, Tim, I know you talk about this all the time, but do you? Because we talk a lot about this not because it's the only thing the Bible teaches, but because it's the point of everything the Bible teaches. Do you hear me? Everything that's in this text, everything that we read is to point you to the fact that you need a Lord, and His Lord, the name of that Lord is Jesus. We talk so much about this not because it's the only thing the Bible teaches but because it's the point of everything the Bible teaches. You want to know why there are instructions on worship in the Scripture? Because those who have believed the gospel message ought to know how to worship the God that they believe in. Why does the beginning of a few of the gospel accounts have long explanations of family trees and who begat who? So you could know the bloodline of the Savior who came for you. Why did the scriptures teach about a sacrificial system so you could know the true sacrifice in Jesus Christ? It all points to Jesus. You may or may not have had this thought at some point. Maybe you were listening to a sermon somewhere and you thought, oh, it was okay, but there wasn't any gospel. Has anyone ever thought that? Here's what I can tell you. You don't get to say that here. mm There are two things that have never been said to me, drive faster, (laughs) and why didn't you preach the gospel? Those things have never been said to me. We don't treat the gospel like an optional dessert that you can take or leave to satisfy your hunger. The gospel is the main course here at COV. When you're having tacos for dinner, you usually don't serve it with egg rolls. Why? Because you build the mill around the main course. And the gospel in everything we do is the main course. So if you have children at this church right now, they're being taught the gospel in that room. They're being taught through a different text than the one I'm doing. But it all points to the gospel that we don't need to be self-righteous but we can be made righteous because of Christ. And it's okay to not like that. We do this because we want you to know what we're about. It's okay to opt out. It's okay to choose another church that goes, let me use air quotes for podcast, deeper or gives you more practical ways to be a better person. But Jesus speaks of that way of thinking in the past few verses that we've covered in the parable of the soils. There's a third reaction to the gospel message that I've seen time and time again. And to be honest, I've been worried in the past that this was me. It's the reaction that when something difficult or tragic happens, I, we, you, want to run from God rather than to him. It's the idea that the gospel message is glorious, that it's beautiful, that it's amazing, but because we have received it, now we think we have earned it somehow. Because we serve God, we think he's lucky to have us. And it's this exaltation of self that usually means that when hard trials, storms, or circumstances come, we start to resent him because since we think the gospel is something that we have earned or attained, we don't think that our life should be hard. Hear me, your life's hard because you live in the world, but God will see you through it if you'll trust him. So many of us will run from him. We stop doing what we once did, air quotes, for him, and we look to other entities to fill our God-shaped hole in our hearts. This is a response for someone who was not truly rooted in the gospel message. They wanted the benefits, but not the benefactor. And so when life gets harder, and it always does, they are unable to stay rooted in Christ because they never had a root to begin with. Luke says in chapter 8 verse 7 of the same parable, other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. The worries of this life, the desires that are in conflict with the gospel, choke out the word from truly bearing fruit. See, Mark is a little bit more descriptive for once. In Mark 4, verse 18 through 19, he says, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Have you known people like this? Are you like this? When the gospel message has taken root in someone's life, fruit is always produced. I'm going to let that sit for a second. Now, I don't know what you think of by fruit, because a lot of people are like, oh, then I have to be at 13 different Bible studies, and I have to pray Lord God 37 times in one prayer, and I have to, no, 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 no. The Bible's actually clear about the fruit that he's talking about. It's not all of a sudden that you're more moral or spiritual over time. Your life starts to be transformed in the fruit of the Spirit. You start to become more loving because of Christ. You start to become more patient because of Christ. You're more kind because of Christ. You're more joyful because of Christ. You're more peaceful, more gentle, more self-controlled. Your goodness isn't just that you're less sinful in ways you once were, but you want the good of others like you once ignored. That's what it looks like to be led by the Spirit because you've repented and trusted Christ, and the fruit of the Spirit starts to manifest itself in you. That's what the Gospel produces when truly received It's not a one and done, but a done so I can grow. And Jesus accomplished what you couldn't. Jesus did what you could not do. Jesus lived the life you wouldn't. Jesus died so you would not have to. Jesus rose so you could live. It's all about Jesus from beginning to end. So we're committed to the gospel here. We're committed to seeing people go from death to life to maturity because we believe the gospel not only has the power to do that, but that the gospel does that in those who have truly received the message that Jesus did for them what they could not do for themselves. So we're going to teach the word of God. That's what we do. Like, it's hard for me to teach a passage where I'm not just walking verse by verse and word by word and nerding out, okay? But we're always going to make the gospel the main course. Many weeks back, I reached out to a bunch of leaders and participants here at COV, and I asked what they, made, what they believed made Church of the Valley distinct, what sticks out to them, what they think of when they think of this church community. I had a lot of amazing responses. This series was created out of what everyone said, because we really did see that the gospel, spiritual growth, and family are things that we not only aim at, but more importantly, God is doing here. This past summer, we brought on Laura Stengel in a temporary role to help with graphic design, and let me be real, she killed it all summer. Like, killed it's a good thing, for some of you that aren't sure what I meant by that. And so we as elders decided to bring her on in a permanent position as our creative director. I loved her response, though, when I sent the email to her about this question about what makes COV distinct, so I'm going to quote her. Here's what it says. She said, there's a realization that without Jesus being the start, end, and center of everything, what we do would be meaningless because COV is just a bunch of imperfect people who know they're imperfect, spurring each other on and pointing back to Jesus and are honest about the highs and the lows that come with that. This might be the first time I ever quoted someone and didn't have to correct it when I said, never mind. See, this is very well said. I love that many people in our community have picked up on the fact that we are not about moral modification. Let the cults do that. We're not about trying to be a better person. We're about trusting Jesus and submitting to his plans to grow us more into his likeness. The gospel, church, is not about perfection. It's about pursuing the perfect one. It's not about being sinless. It's about trusting the one who was sinless so sin no longer gets to have final say in our lives. But what do we do with this gospel? Well, we live because of it, not just for it. Wait, what do you mean, pastor? We live because of it, not just for it. If we live just for the gospel, the message of reconciliation between us and God can start to be an attempt to earn God's free gift of salvation. And if you attempt to earn God's free gift, that's not a gift, that's a discount. Or we attempt to keep our gift of salvation by trying to pay back God for his grace. But that's not what his gospel does in his people. It points us to joy, it transforms us, it changes our priorities, it changes our character and our disposition in such a way that God is glorified and magnified, not by our perfection, but in our progress of submitting to God by obeying his word daily and progressively. A.B. Simpson, a theologian, said it this way, the gospel tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, the sorrow and misery of the fall undone. That's our gospel, and it is good news. So what do you do if you've heard the gospel, which you've heard today and you will hear every day if you spend time with people from COV? What do you do with the message of the gospel of reconciliation? What do you do with the fact that Jesus died on a cross but rose from the grave? What do you do if you're convicted by this because maybe you thought the gospel was more about you doing stuff to earn God's love, but today you've understood that love is not dictated by your actions but by Jesus' actions done for you. So that you could know a gracious and perfect and creator Creator God. What do you do with that? This is the exact question that was asked to Peter and the apostles at a large gathering at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. These were religious people, yet they were hearing the message of redemption. And after Peter the apostle preaches at this festival known as Pentecost, here's the crowd's response. Acts 2 verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So before I tell you what you must do, I have to ask, are you cut to the heart? Is the gospel something that matters to you? Has the message of the gospel infiltrated your heart? Has it changed your worldview? Do you believe in this message of God's goodness and grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ, or are you still waiting for something better to come along, or to work your way to God based on your own good works? Because it's only if you are cut to the heart that this message saves you, because otherwise you can't receive it because you don't see that you're spiritually bankrupt. If you are cut to the heart, if you want to let go and let God, if you want to stop earning and receive God's grace, here is what Peter tells the crowd. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Those who receive the gospel don't just repent once. They have a repentant heart that fuels them to seek reconciliation with others because they are reconciled to God. They give grace away because grace has been showered on them. They act generous because they understand God's generosity to them. They love those who sinned against them because they sinned against God and God loved them anyway. Repentance is not a one and done, but a continuous reaction to our own sin. Repentance isn't a one and done, but a continuous reaction to our own sin. But Jesus says, or I'm sorry, Peter says, repent and be baptized. So does that mean you have to be baptized to be saved? No. That would imply a work of man to be justified, a work of man to be righteous, something you have to do to be made right. And the gospel is, not a, the gospel is about God's work on your behalf, not your work on God's behalf. Do you see the difference? So if baptism is a work, then like all works as Christians, we have to see works as a fruit rather than the root. We are not baptized to be saved. We are baptized to identify with the Christ who gave us the faith to repent in the first place. Baptism is a marker in your life for you to physically identify with Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his death and his resurrection from the dead as your soul means your soul opportunity to have right standing and be justified before God. So we outwardly, through baptism, proclaim what we already believe inwardly, that Jesus is Lord. So the question isn't, should you be baptized if Jesus is your Lord? Here's the question, why wouldn't you be baptized if Jesus is your Lord? We do baptisms here. We've done a decent amount since we got here, I guess. I don't really know what I'm comparing it to. Compared to Pentecost, we suck. <laughs> but there are people in our congregation that have committed to Jesus, and for some reason, you're like, oh, I don't want to get baptized. And here's the main reason most people don't get baptized they don't think they know enough. How much do you think these, these people at Pentecost knew? I was going to call them the Pentecostals. How much do you think these Pentecostals knew? <laughs> Not so much. And yet, they heard the message of the truth and they repented and they wanted to do what God told them to do. And through God's grace, we experience a want to repent. A want to identify with Jesus through baptism and have our sins be forgiven through, the, through Christ's work on the cross, through his resurrection. And then Jesus, and then our God isn't done giving. He then gives us the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you call him Holy Ghost, boo. But he's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And God gifts us his Spirit so we can actually, don't miss this, so we can actually grow and be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in those of us who commit and follow Jesus. Don't believe me? Paul says it. Romans 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Some of you don't realize that the spirit of God's in you and you can do far more than you currently do. I think too few of us realize that once we've been redeemed by God, we no longer have to do things in our own strength. God gave us his son to redeem us. God gave us the eyes to see Jesus for who he is. And God gave us his spirit to lead God, comfort, and convict us. God gives. The Holy Spirit makes you set apart as a child of God and holy in your pursuit of Jesus Christ daily. There's this great story that's told about this argument that took place. The strongest argument for the gospel of Christ is the personal testimony of someone whose life has been changed by it. Charles Bradloff, an avowed infidel, (laughs) once challenged the Reverend H.P. Hughes to a debate. The preacher, who was head of a rescue mission in London, England, accepted the challenge with one condition, that he could bring with him a hundred men and women who would tell what had happened in their lives since they trusted Christ as their Savior. They wouldn't be people who once lived, uh, these would be people who once lived in deep sin, some having come from poverty stricken homes caused by the vices of their parents. And Hughes said they would not only tell of their conversion, but they would submit to cross examination by any who doubted their stories. Furthermore, the minister invited his opponent to bring a group of non believers who could tell how they were helped by their lack of faith. <laughs> When the appointed day arrived, the preacher came accompanied by a hundred transformed people, but Bradloft never showed up. The result? The meeting turned into a testimony time, and many sinners who had gathered to hear the scheduled debate were redeemed by God. I'd say the best apologetic or answer or evidence of the gospel is not just the facts which are overwhelming that Jesus Christ actually physically rose from the dead, but a changed life that isn't only attributed to God, but it's unmistakably because of God's intervention in one's life. When you spend time in the sun, people can tell. And when you spend time with the sun, people can tell. Get it? That's funny? All right. Good. Good. So maybe you've received the gospel, maybe you've been following him for a while, maybe you've been growing, but hear me, maybe you're starting to feel stale. Maybe you're starting to feel what the Bible calls lukewarm. See, that's because the gospel isn't a gift that you keep to yourself. It's a gift that gets better as you give it away. Anyone who's bored in their faith, go talk to someone about Jesus. That'll change right quick. And as image bearers and sons and daughters of the God Most High, we are tasked, we are commissioned to make much of him. And that happens by pursuing holiness and obedience to God's word. That happens through consistent Bible study and prayer. That happens by worshiping as a church family and being in community and accountability with one another. But here's what Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power. Say power. Power. No, no, no. You will receive power. Thank you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, what does a witness do? A witness testifies about what Jesus Christ has done. That's what it means to have the power of God residing in you, the third person of the Holy Spirit. He works through you. So those of us who have received the gospel have a responsibility to not keep it to ourselves. Once we know him, we ought to show him off. And as witnesses, we testify to what he has done in our lives to a world that is in need of grace. It's not the great suggestion It's the Great Commission, and we make it about the gospel because the gospel came to us, and we have heard and understood the gospel, and the gospel is not something that we just tack on to our lives. The gospel is what gives us our lives, and at COV, we want to be identified not by how large we are or how important we are even to the community We want to be identified by and as a bunch of imperfect people who are pursuing the perfect one because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Worship team, you can come on up.